0: All right, I have got the hat on once again. I got the sun over there, making me look about as white as a ghost. I mean, looks can be deceiving. They're not in this case, though. And we are back for another episode of Unqualified Analysis. We are in the office once again, at least for the time being. You know, I got the house to myself once again, so feels good, feels good while I got it. Probably gonna be back in the closet of shame next week, though, so don't get used to the scenery. Uh, That's only if you're on the YouTube, though. Hey, if you're listening on the podcast, though, why not jump over to the YouTube, hit a subscribe, hit a hit a like, hit a hit a share, whatever the hell you want to do, just go over there and do it. But uh, yeah, this is Unqualified Analysis. I'm your host, Caleb Verzak. You can follow me on all my socials at, you guessed it, Caleb Verzak. Link will be down in the description so you don't have to spell that messed up Eastern Block name. I did it for you. I did all the hard work for you. Just got to go click that link, hit the follow button. And then you can know uh, whatever I want to say whenever I want to say it and uh, whenever this show comes out because I like to tweet out You know, maybe a day or two early whenever this thing comes out. But uh, hey, all right. Uh, But yeah, subscribe wherever you're listening. Uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, go out there, hit subscribe, hit the like, smash that like button, rate five stars, anything you want to do right there. We got a good one for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, You know, sports all across it. We have got all sorts of stuff going on. I mean, there's horses uh, running across a dirt track. There's, there's basketball players not playing on dirt. They're playing on hardwood. Uh, we've we've got football not being played, but we're going to talk about it because this is basically a football show. Um, and yeah, we got baseball coaches betting on games that they're in. Again, just don't fail the idiot test. We're not going to talk about that. But hey, if you are an Alabama baseball coach uh, who just got fired, good luck. You're never going to get hired again. Uh, just just don't bet on games. Just don't bet on games if you're an active participant in, in the sport that you are betting on. That's just a, a good general rule of thumb. I uh, just had to get that out of the way, but got a good one for you today. Uh, you know, NBA playoffs, uh, recklessly early predictions, as you can probably see in the title. Obviously, I'm recording this, so I don't know what the title happens to be, but I would imagine that's going to be in the title. So without further ado, this is a loaded episode, so let's just get straight into the NBA playoffs because that's the, that's the sport that's going on right now. So might as well just put it at the top of the show. And I've got this kind of ordered to where the the series that are farther along are at the top of this update, and then the series that have only played three games and the game fours are tonight are at the bottom of it. So, first and foremost, I think the most uh, the series with the most intrigue that's not Lakers Warriors right now, Sixers versus Celtics. They are tied. 2-2, and I mean, it got dicey in game four as the Sixers got out to a commanding lead. looked like they were going to run away with it and tie this thing up 2-2, but it got, it got pretty interesting down the stretch, and it got very fun to watch as I was finishing up my delectable dinner of just rice and leftover fajita meat. I mean, some might call it chicken. I don't know. You might want to do it. I don't know. I, I, I kind of do it sometimes, but I digress on that front. It was fun to watch down the stretch. They absolutely coughed up that lead in the fourth quarter, if you couldn't tell uh, by the context clues there. But... If Philly dropped this one, the series would be 3-1. The Celtics in their favor, basically over pretty much stick a fork in it. All you gotta do is win one of the next three games and you are into the Eastern Conference Finals. The Sixers needed, needed, needed this game, and you could see the desperation down the stretch, but PJ Tucker got an and one late. Dr. J looked up to the sky and said, Thank you, Lord. Communed with the Lord Himself uh, to get this thing into overtime. Then we got a fantastic finish. James Harden buries a go ahead three with about 15 seconds left. Uh, Joe Missoula, Celtics head coach, decides not to take a timeout. They dribbled down the court, do the Celtics uh, kick the ball out to Marcus Smart. Looks like he makes the three to put the dagger in there, go up 3-1. Not so fast, though. Go to the replay. He did not get the shot off. He, ball still in the hands with zeros on the clock. So, Sixers end up winning the game by one. They tie up the series 2-2. Two, two. Uh, the home stand is split each way. The Celtics win one on their home court. Sixers win one on their home court, and it goes the other way on those other two games. And we have got a series, ladies and gentlemen. This is living up to everything we expected coming in, man. This is the de facto Eastern Conference Finals. I don't want to. I don't want to disperse the good name of the Knicks and the Heat. But these are the two best teams left right now in the Eastern Conference, and they're playing like it. I'll tell you what. This is. This has been a fun, fun series to watch. I mean, the series. To this point, it's kind of just gone as James Harden has gone. No no disrespect to the Celtics. I think they're ultimately the better team. But James Harden, game one, he had 45 and they win. Uh, Game four, he had 42, including that dagger three-pointer to go ahead late. And both of those, the Sixers won. In in the two straight losses in the meantime, in games two and three, Harden shot a combined 7 of 28 and averaged 14 points per game. And the Sixers lost both of those games. So you can see where I would say this This series is going to go as James Harden has gone. With Embiid hobbled, still got that LCL sprain he's working back from. Harden is the one that's either going to make or break this series for the Sixers. So big boy, maybe stay away from the strip clubs. Maybe stay away from whatever whatever delectable food of choice you decide to go to. I've, I've seen you sometimes gaining that weight when you want to get out of a situation. Don't do that here. It's the playoffs. This is probably some of the best games that James Harden has ever had in the playoffs. He's still... James Harden in the playoffs is, is a bit of an enigma. It's kind of his style of play works very well in the regular season, gets a whole lot of points. In the postseason, all those dribbles, all that drawing of contact, you're not getting quite the calls that you used to in the regular season. I mean, my God, Jay, Jason Tatum got away with a blatant push-off late in the game when he, you know, Put a, put a forearm shiver straight in Tyrese Maxey's chest, step back for a three-pointer, not called. I think everyone on the TV, everyone in this in the, the arena, in the stadium, could see that was probably an offensive foul. The refs felt differently, though, and that's, those are just kind of the calls you're not getting in the NBA postseason that you might get in the regular season. So James Harden, a, a guy that relies on a lot of fouls, gets to the free throw line, maybe not the most efficient shooter in the world. That kind of comes back to bite him in the postseason generally. But game one and game four, scoring that 45 and 42, some of the best games that James Harden has ever had in his playoff career. And they're games that the Sixers really needed him. So again, this is gonna go as James Harden goes. If he still keeps on the gas and can really finish this one out, I think the Sixers have a good chance of winning this. But if he gets shut down and Embiid can't, can't pull his weight, This could be a totally different series in the Celtics. Again, still probably the better team in this one are going to end up pulling this one out. Like I said, they've been the more consistent team have the Celtics. They haven't gotten the blowout in in either, they haven't gotten blown out rather in either of their losses in this series. Uh, Barring some late game heroics from from Harden & Co., they could easily be up 3-1 right now. And hell, if... If if uh, I almost said James Harden, if Marcus Smart would have gotten that ball a half second sooner, we're having a different conversation right now. The Celtics would be up three-one because I mean Marcus Smart absolutely buried that three-pointer, and it's the guy that you want taking that shot too. No no faults of the Sixers. I mean they were trying to to stay in front of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Those are the guys that you need to stay in front of in that situation. Get the ball to Marcus Smart if he's the one taking the game-winning three or potential game-winning three. You're going to live with that in most situations. It just it. Almost didn't work out for him. It did, did, though, in this one. Swinging doors moment. Doesn't matter. We're at a 2-2 series right now. And I don't know if they need Marcus Smart to get in get in on the sack tab madness that's been going rampant in the NBA playoffs right now. Good nut, for, nut, nut shot for nut shot with James Harden, another n- notorious nut slapper over there. But they need somebody outside of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to step up in game five to take that, co- that coveted 3-2 lead. And... We're going to say this again and again at least a couple more times in this, uh, this little NBA segment, it's not a, a, an end-all be-all sort of thing, but Game 5 usually tells a tale in these situations, especially in the NBA. And this is probably, if you've watched any sort of sports programming at any point, you've probably heard this stat, but let me tell it to you anyways. When a series is tied 2-2, the winner of Game 5 has gone on to win the series 82.8% of the time in the history of the NBA. That's like a 160-some series. Pretty good sample size there that tells you, you gots to, gots to, gots to win Game 5 if you really want a chance to go on and pull off the series. That's what we got here right now. Tuesday is an absolute must-win for both of these teams. And glory and praise to Allah, it is a 7.30 p.m. tip-off, so your boy is going to be able to watch this one live and in action, color, whatever the hell I just said there. So, I'll actually be able to stay up for it. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an old, um, just just decrepit, kind of boring man to where I just can't stay up that late anymore. I mean, hell, my, my retired father has a later bedtime than me right now, which makes sense. He doesn't have to wake up early to get, get to work in the morning, but still... I'm boring. I'm not going to be staying up for those 10 p.m. tip-offs. It's just it's good to see that at least Adam Silver cares about uh, one series when it comes to you know not not keeping the working man on the East Coast up late. We'll get back to more of that in just a second here. Really, not too far from now because we're talking about the Nuggets versus Suns, another series that is tied 2-2 right now, and it's been pretty much chalked thus far on this one. Uh, it looked like Denver might run away with this. Initially in the series they got a quick uh, quick two wins at home up 2-0 going back to the Suns but the Suns didn't give an inch on their home court. They won two straight as well tie things up at 2-2 heading back to Denver for once again a decisive game 5. I maintain and I hate this this is the bane of my existence Adam Silver 10 p.m. tip-offs should be considered crimes against humanity. You should put them right in front of a war crimes tribunal and just, you know, treat them accordingly because this is just it's just not tenable, man. I can't stay up till 10 p.m. I'm in bed at 10 p.m., uh slowly closing my eyes and getting ready to go Betty by. I can't, I can't be doing these 10 p.m. kickoffs. It's just, it's just no bueno. In the conference finals, it won't be happening. So again, all praise and glory to Allah on that one. It's, it's good to see that he doesn't hate us totally, but I, I would like to see at least this series uh, have a few earlier tip-offs. I think every single game has been a 10 p.m. tip off. So a big old fuck you is in order to Adam Silver and the boys up there at the league office. But back to the series itself, the most noteworthy thing to come out of the series so far happened at the end of game four. Nikola Jokic committed assault on live TV, just absolutely lightly nudged the Suns owner, Matt Ishbia, who flopped and drew a technical uh, on Jokic. And watching the other angle of that interaction, I mean, it looked like Matt Ishbia gave him a pretty solid shove before that. And I mean, Nikola Jokic just kind of, eh, at eh, elbow, get out of the way. Matt Ishbia looked like he just got shot. I mean, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. He just shoved me straight to the ground. I've got a technical out of it. So I mean, a successful flop when it was all said and done. Um, I doubt anything comes of that, though. I mean, it really was big old nothing play. Just just Jokic being Jokic. It's one of the reasons why I love him. He doesn't take any shit from anybody, which is, again, a man after my own heart in that, that particular sort of way. But um, I don't know. I expected a little bit more physicality when ESPN hit me with the Uh, notification on my phone saying that Jokic shoved Matt Ishbia he got a technical for it too I was expecting a full two-hand shove of this little bitty uh, son's owner but that's not at all what happened keep doing your clickbait shit I guess Uh, it worked on me that time but that is simply not what the situation was it was uh, it was a little bit of a nudge and a big old flop by Matt Ishbia so if the league office is any sort of rational Nothing else is going to come from this. Maybe a fine for touching somebody in the stands. I guess that's something you gotta, you got to enforce there. It's kind of a special situation, though. It's the Suns owner, so I don't know exactly uh, what it's going to look like here. If it's a suspension, though, that's absolute utter bullshit. So I'll leave it at that. I will say it's worth noting that outside of that shove, which is going to be the story coming out of this game, Jokic scored 53 and had 11 assists last night. Uh, again, let me repeat that. 53 points, 11 assists from a 7-foot-1 center. And, I mean, they, they barely lost. He did everything he could in Game 4 to win. He, he shot 20 of 30 from the floor. Nikola Jokic is playing some of the most efficient offense that we've ever seen from a center at this point. He's the second coming of Sabonis. If Sabonis would have gotten here in the prime of his career in the in the NBA, instead of you know the Soviet Union keeping him over there for uh, the all the good years of his career before he eventually made his way over. Um, I will say though, he literally did everything in his power to win that game. I mean, fifty three and eleven from a big man, fifty three and eleven from anyone, especially a big man. Just wild, wild statistics over there, but. Credit to the Suns, though. There's a reason why they won these last two games. Specifically, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker have been playing out of their minds. Booker, in particular, is having an out-of-body experience over the last two games, in three and four. He shot 34 of 43 over the last two games. He shot 20 of 25 in Game Three, he's averaging forty-one point five points per game in the Suns' homestand right now. I mean, he is absolutely—he's been the best scorer on the team. He's really stepped up in Chris Paul's average in, in Chris Paul's absence. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, KD, meanwhile. Has been steady as ever. I mean, he's not quite the the crazy efficient that he has been at the prime uh, stages of his career, but he's still very good scorer. He scored over, I think, over twenty five in just about every game this series. Scored thirty in each of the, uh, the the games they had at home in the last two. I want to say games three and four, uh, he scored thirty nine and thirty six in those ones. So not not a bad showing in his own right. Also circling back to the sack tap madness here. Karma has come back around on Chris Paul, man. You may, if you've been following Chris Paul's career, you know he is a notorious nut slapper. He's done it probably once or twice a year, just about every single year in his career. There's always some video coming out of Chris Paul uh, taking a screen a little bit hard and just caca, right in someone's nuts. And it's, it's something that the basketball gods have said enough is enough. They have stricken him with a groin injury that made him lose, or, or I maybe mean, not lose, but made him. Uh, Look, What's the word? Made him not play in games 3 and 4 with a groin injury. Might not even play in game 5. Status is kind of unknown for that, but the basketball gods have clearly decided that the check is due for CP3 after the countless fists he's delivered to the groins of opponents. Through the course of his uh 15 or however many year career, it's been at this point, it, the time has come for him to reap what he has sown. It's only, it's only pure justice that he's getting this uh, right now, but Hope he's back. He's a, a good player. Maybe not quite the player he once was, but you want all the the high high star power that you can get in these sorts of situations. So I I want to see the little nutshotter come back. That's that's why I'm gonna, that's what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna leave it at that. Uh, anyways, we are back in denver for game five copy and paste the importance of game fives and two two series 82.8 percent of the game five winners have won the series yada 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 uh all that from the previous segment it's do or die here folks like i just said last time and i'll probably be fast asleep or barreling toward it uh at tip off uh because it tips at 10 p.m once again big old fuck you to adam silver you nosferatu looking motherfucker up next, we have got the one of the series that is three games in. We got it starting off in the Eastern Conference, Heat versus Knicks. Uh, Heat are ahead two one as I'm recording this. Game four is tonight, though Monday night as I'm recording at 7:30 p.m. I'll probably be watching that one, or at the very least keeping track of it while I play video games with good buddies. Uh, you know, that's my decision. So you can criticize it all you want. That's where I'll be at. Maybe this could this one could be either tied uh, two two, or the Heat could have a three one lead by the time you listen to this. Two very different situations. So I put this series at the end, end of the NBA segment. Same with the Warriors-Lakers because I simply don't know which one it'll be. I, we won't know until you listen to this on Tuesday, which by that point, it'll be it'll be moot. So I don't want to spend too, too much time on this. This series has been lively, though. It's It's straight-up 90s basketball, but in the best possible way. We got close physical games that you just don't see quite as much anymore. Sure, there's still physicality in the NBA, but it's a slower pace. Uh, you got guys banging in the post, nice. Uh, we got all sorts of stuff there that just harkens back to the days of Michael Jordan, the days where you could just pound some bodies in the interior. There, I'm using all sorts of innuendo in this segment. Uh, but Jimmy Butler has been hobbled with that ankle injury he sustained in Game One. Not not sure what kind of ankle sprain it is, uh, severe enough to where he missed Game Two. But even the face of that. They lead the series 2-1 as I'm recording this right now. Could be 3-1, could be tied 2-2. Either way, they're not behind in the series, even with Jimmy Butler not being out there for a game. Not sure there's even a debate at this point as to who's the best coach in the NBA. It's Eric Spoltra. Uh He's coaching his ass off in Miami right now. Spoelstra, by the way, totally butchered that last name in the first uh, attempt, but Eric Spoelstra coaching his ass off down in Miami at this point. They never seem to be able to put a legit star next to Jimmy Butler, I'm guessing because maybe in free agency, these NBA players that, you know, they're used to a certain level of comfort that they receive on on a daily basis. It's like like the Patriots down there with the Miami Heat. They're consistently good, but they're consistently good because they work harder than just about everyone else, and they have more stringent standards than just about everyone else when it comes to fitness, continued uh, body fat percentage, all that sort of stuff. It works perfect for a guy like Jimmy Butler. Maybe some other stars in the NBA, not so much, but it's a it's a guy like, you know, Jimmy Butler is the epitome of heat culture. That might be a part of the reason why they can't get a start on there next to Jimmy Butler. But even in the face of that, Spolstra has coached this core to a finals berth in the bubble and just knocked off the best team in the league in five to start this year's playoffs. Not a debate at this point. Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA I think the prowess of Spolstra coaching in this one and the absolute psychopathy uh, from Jimmy Butler. I mean, he is he's one of my favorite players in the league because he's a crazy person. Same reason why I love what Russell Westbrook back in the day, just uh, out of his mind, crazy person that is more intense than everybody else on the court and it's just it's hilarious to watch those sorts of people. So I love Jimmy Butler, but I think that gives the heat the inside track in this one right now. Not to mention they got a 2-1 lead as I'm recording this, but the Knicks can still win. If, if Julius Randle can step up alongside Jalen Brunson, that's the main thing as far as I see it. Brunson, your number one player, maybe not a guy you can win a championship with, but a guy you can get through the second round series with. You need a number two, though. Randle didn't play in game one with an ankle injury, uh, ankle injury of his own, to go with Jimmy Butler's ankle injury there. And the Knicks lost that one in a close one. He had 25, 12 rebounds, eight assists in game two, and they win. Then in game three, he scored just 10 points in a blowout win by the Heat. That's a that's a pattern that you should pay attention to because that is probably the most consequential thing when it comes to actually winning this series. The Knicks need, need, need Julius Randle to play well if they want to come back and win this series. When they're both on, the Heat simply don't have a one-two punch that can compare to Brunson and Julius Randle. That's the bottom line right there y'all have a better idea of how this series is going than me though because like i said game four is already finished by the time you're even listening to this so truthfully my heart is with the heat because i love that psycho jimmy butler we shall see, though. Put a pin in that one until the next episode, I suppose. All these series will be decided throughout the course of this week, though, so gotta love it. Gotta love it. It's gonna be a fun, fun week of basketball games. And rounding out the NBA segment here, we got the Lakers versus Warriors. Lakers lead 2-1 as I'm recording this right now. Game four is tonight at 10 p.m. because Adam Silver hates the hard-working people on the East Coast. Uh, again, This could be either tied 2-2 or the Lakers could be sitting pretty at 3-1 by the time you listen to this. I simply don't know because I can't time travel. If I could, you know what? I'd be doing a little bit more than finding out. Actually, I'd be finding out sports results so I could go back and bet on those sports results. I'd also be finding out, I'd be traveling a couple years in the future looking at the old stocks page and be like, okay, which stock has performed the best over the last five years or so and I'll put all my money in that one when I come back to the present day I can't time travel it, so I can't do any of those things I don't know how this series is going because you know what time is is an elusive mystery that I just can't unravel with my own mind here I will say so far this series has gone as Anthony Davis has gone LeBron has clearly been a shell of his former self but He's still fairly efficient. He's been pretty consistent, uh, just kind of you know distributing the ball, being that that good second option. A. B. has been the wild card though, much like James Harden in the Sixers-Celtics series. In the two wins thus far, he's averaging 27.5 points per game, 18 rebounds per game, four blocks on over 60% shooting. In the one loss, he had just 11 points. That's that's what you need to be paying attention to. The Lakers need AD to put on the big boy pants, continue to be that number one guy, because LeBron simply, maybe two years ago, he could, he could turn it on like that. That's just not who he is anymore. He's 38, 39 years old this is just how he's still better at 38 39 than just about anyone else in NBA history but he's still a 38 39 year old it's just not something that you can ask him to do on a night in night out basis AD has to be the guy that steps up is that number one scoring option anchors the defense like he does I mean he is an app he just blocks out the sun when he's over there even in the loss he had three blocks as well he's got uh, 11 total blocks in this game. That's Maths B right there. But that that's the guy that needs to be stepping up if the Lakers want to continue to win in this series. The Warriors, meanwhile, need literally, I mean literally, anyone outside of Steph Curry to make a big-time contribution right now. That's the main thing. In Game 2... It was Klay Thompson scoring 30. They blew the Lakers out of the water, 127-100. to In a close loss in Game 1, Kevon Looney played above his average uh, with 10 points. He had 23 rebounds, and Andrew Wiggins had scored 15 in his own right. But again, realistically, they needed an efficient Klay Thompson. I think he shot like 9 for 26 or something in that Game 2 loss. It was a close loss, but if if Klay Thompson would have been a little bit more efficient, maybe that game goes a little bit differently again It's not Steph Curry. Unlike with the Lakers where AD, you're kind of thinking, well, he won't won't he on a given night. You know what you're going to get from Steph Curry. Maybe it won't be as efficient on some nights, but you know it's going to come back around and he's going to have one of those crazy seven or eight three-pointer games where he scores like 35 and does all sorts of disrespectful dances on him. I love it. I love to see it. And it's one of the more exciting things that you get to see in basketball nowadays when Steph Curry is on. But the real determinant here, the guy that's going to win or lose this series for the Warriors, I still think is Clay Thompson and the surrounding cast in general. They need to play well around Steph if they want to win this series. And this is probably the, uh, the series with the best TV ratings, even though it's on at 10 p.m. and they hate the, uh, the East Coast guys uh, in the Western Conference, albeit maybe not the one that uh, the most consistently competitive games thus far. There's been a lot of blowouts in this one. But once again, though. Ferratu up there in the league office hates the hard-working people on the East Coast who have to wake up in the morning. So it's it's all 10 p.m. tips, and we're not going to get anything better until we get into the conference finals, such as life sometimes, man. Sometimes, you know what, you just got to look at the box score in the morning, fall asleep as the NBA is on your TV in bed. That's really all we can do at this point. You know what, maybe maybe one day the great Nosferatu up there in the league office will take pity on us and, you know, maybe bump forward the starting times an hour Could work, just saying, Uh, but again, I digress. Imagine how good these ratings could be if you just bumped them up an hour. Just think about it, think about it Nosferatu, think about it Adam, just consider it. Uh, With that though, that'll get you all up to date. We don't know what those two one series are, well, I don't know, you guys know better than me how the, uh, the two two one series that I talked about are going right now. But it's the second round of the playoffs. This is usually the most entertaining round of all the rounds. you got four really solid, really competitive series for the most part. And it is going to be fun to see how they end. Particularly that Celtic Sixers series. Ooh, that is going... Ooh, 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 boy. That's going to be a dandy going down the stretch because really... The Celtics really should not be losing in the second round. The Sixers need, need, need to get to the conference finals. And they need to be making a championship run unless they're liable to maybe blow this thing up in the offseason. There's a lot on the line for a lot of these teams and it is just, it is fun basketball to watch, especially as we get later in these series. The desperation ratchets up even more. This is going to be a fun, fun week of basketball and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it big time, ladies and gentlemen. With that though, Let's get out of the NBA stuff. Let's talk about some uh, some quick sports headlines from around the weekend because there's a lot of stuff going on that simply it's out of my wheelhouse, but we got to touch on it because it has happened in the world of sports. Uh, first off, seven horses died this weekend at Churchill Downs uh, in the lead up to the Kentucky Derby. I think one of the under one of the horses in the undercard for the Kentucky Derby had to be euthanized there on the track as well. So if you have a horse and you don't want it to get a bolt in the head stay the hell away from kentucky i don't know what the hell is going on at Churchill downs but they're just killing horses over there i mean probably stay away from santa anita as well really just horse racing in general bad place to be if you want your horse to survive generally but you can make a whole lot of money off your horse uh if they win you could just you know be busting loads all day not you the horse uh and you know just making all sorts of money off of that so it's a bit of a risk reward thing you know the horse might die but also might make you a whole lot of money in the long run so i mean do what you got to do um also, congrats to Mage. First Wizard to ever win the Kentucky Derby. How about that? He's a horse. He's a Wizard. What can't this guy do? Uh, I mean, except for maybe beat Forte, but Forte withdrawed beforehand because, I don't know, I guess the owner uh, j- didn't want it to get a bolt in its head, apropos the, the previous conversation over there. Don't have to relitigate that, but that's what's going on in the Kentucky Derby. We had a Mage win it for the first time ever. I mean, it's we got some real inclusion over there in Kentucky. Not something you hear every day, if I do say so myself. Uh, let's move on to the driving sports, shall we? First off, we had two NASCAR drivers I've never heard of in my entire life uh, throw hands after a race this weekend. You may be shocked to hear this, but the guy that looked like more working class with a, with a beard and a hat on uh, threw an absolute haymaker at the guy with the good hair who looks like he spends about an hour or two in the barbershop before each race. Who's to say? I was thoroughly entertained by it, though. Didn't watch a single second of the race, but the fight was cool, I guess, and it's the only thing I think anyone saw of the race afterwards. I don't even know what particularly they were fighting about. It's, you know, just NASCAR stuff, but that was a that was a, a clean right hook from the guy whose name escapes me with the beard and the hat on, really repping for the working class, and again, if you're a pretty boy, maybe don't be picking fights that you know you can't win because I don't think old pretty boy could have won that fight. I don't know. I don't know either of them, truthfully, because this is the first time I'm even talking about NASCAR. Maybe the first time I'm talking about NASCAR ever on this podcast right now, but hey, uh, maybe maybe F1 would be a little bit more entertaining if we had some fights in pit pit row. Uh, Speaking of which, in a shocking twist, Max Verstappen and Checo Perez went 1-2 at the Miami Grand Prix. Where have we heard that before? Outside of literally every single race this season uh, that they've done outside of you know ones with a catastrophic wreck. I think Charles Leclerc won one when like half the field got DQ'd. or not DQ'd, but their cars couldn't continue because of a big old pileup or something like that. Outside of that crazy stuff happening... Just Max Verstappen, Checo Perez have I've been 1-2 in some order in every single race. Just an absolute snooze fest in F1 this season. We need more f- fist fights in F1 right now. That's, that's the bottom line. Get more physicality in pit row. Uh, maybe get Christian Horner and, and Toto Wolff. Those are two guys that don't necessarily like each other. Maybe they come up to each other uh, in between races and they just smack the shit out of each other. That could be fun. I mean, I'm utterly bored with the sport otherwise now. So, uh, Red Bulls just dominating... Good for them, I suppose, not necessarily good for the viewing audience, but if you get more fist fights over there, maybe that maybe the rank and file off sports fan like you and me might tune in a little bit more. Just a just a bit of a uh, just a bit of a suggestion over there with the F1, not that they'll ever take it. It's a gentleman's sport over there, and it's it's more fun to watch when there's, you know, more competitive drivers out there. I think there's a lot more skill and nuance that goes into it. There's a lot more variation as to what you can do with these cars for the most part, but it's just been Red Red Bull dominating out the ass over the last year or two, essentially. Uh, Thought there'd be a little bit more... Parody, I suppose you could say with the advent of these new rules I suppose as far as the the build of the car thought I would even the playing field no it's just kind of entrenched Red Bull as the dominant force in the sport also helps when you got a guy like Max Verstappen who's you know shaping up to be this generation's next dominant driver in F1 that's all though. That's all that happened this weekend. Oh, outside of that Alabama baseball coach betting on his team or handing out insider information and getting fired for it because he's an idiot. Outside of that, that's that's all. You got all up to date on the sports picture here in the uh, in the sports world over the weekend. So, hope you enjoyed that. With that though, about 30 minutes, 31 minutes into this podcast, let's get into the main event here, folks. We have got the recklessly early predictions for the NFL season. And if you have been around long enough, you already know what it is. The NFL draft is done. Free agency is mostly settled. These rosters are mostly settled as well. So, of course, it's time to run back the yearly tradition from last offseason and make some bold, sweeping predictions about the NFL season four months before it even starts and be open to being horribly wrong because that's what makes this thing funny when I take it out of the time capsule in February of next year. Same as last year, like I said, putting this thing uh, on ice Already got it kind of bookmarked in my documents. So whenever we get back to this, revisit this in February, I will see just how wrong I am. Can't wait to see how bad this ends up being. But with that, all that said, let's get straight into the meat of this thing, shall we? Starting off with the division winners. Let me explain all these for you and all my reasoning. Starting off in the AFC North. I've got the Baltimore Ravens right now. Now that the Lamar situation is settled, you look at their roster. They brought in some good receivers this offseason. Uh, of course, they... Excuse me. All right. And we have got some good news on the job front. Not, so, not necessarily going to tell you all that, but, you know, it's it's... It's all good over in this neighborhood right now, man. I'm, I'm flying on cloud 64. Negotiations are underway, and it's feeling good. Uh, outside of that, though, where was I? The Baltimore Ravens. They added some good receivers, like I said there. They drafted Zay Flowers. They got OBJ in the building. Uh, they also got Nelson Aguilar. Solid, 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 uh, sort of rotational wide receiver. You know, he gets a little bit of a bad rap from that video of the Philadelphia fan talking about, you know, can, can, maybe catch it, unlike Aguilar talking about catching a kid out of a window, but Outside of that, even on the defense, and I'm not, not even talking about J.K. Dobbins, you got Lamar Jackson, best running QB in the entire league. You bring in a solid offensive coordinator in Todd Munkin, who, if nothing else, will have a much better passing scheme than what Greg Roman brought to the table. He will push the ball down the field like Lamar Jackson has wanted to do over the last couple years under Greg Roman. And I think he's going to do it better than just targeting the tight ends, especially with this improved wide receiver core And that defense, I'll tell you right now, they always seem to find players out of the woodwork. I've never, I almost never have a concern about the Baltimore Ravens defense, maybe not quite the secondary names wise that it once was. Um... Sorry, just looking at my phone, they're coordinating some things with different people, but I digress on that front. But still, I have no concerns whatsoever that these guys will be at their best when you need them to be, and it's going to be, I, I feel like the Ravens have a very good chance of winning this division. That being said, the AFC North is perpetually, especially now that the Browns have kind of elevated their level of play under Kevin Stefanski. They brought in the nasty man who, nasty man off the field, but a damn good quarterback on the field. That's obviously talking about Deshaun Watson. Now that he's in the building, now that they have a, a solid team, I mean, they got Defensive Player of the Year candidate every single year in Miles Garrett. I feel like that's one of the best divisions in the entire league. And oh, by the way, I didn't even talk about the best quarterback in that entire division, uh, Joe Burrow over there with the Bengals right now. And they could, any of those teams, even the Steelers, they got significantly better throughout the course of this drafted the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Any one of those teams could come out here and win the division. Any one of those teams could come out there and get a playoff berth. So Right now, I'm saying the Baltimore Ravens just because they have improved so well in such key areas, including locking up Lamar Jackson for the foreseeable future. It just feels like this is the Ravens' year to really make a run at it, so I'm picking the Ravens to win the AFC North. Going to the AFC South, we have got the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this was probably the easiest division winner to pick of them all. There's some really good divisions out there, at least some very evenly matched divisions out there. And for once... The Jacksonville Jaguars are the one constant in the in the AFC South right now. It is just not... The AFC South might be the worst division in all of professional football right now. I mean, the NFC South has a case of its own, but at least it's more evenly matched. The AFC South is just outside of the Jaguars... I'm not sure there's a team that's gotten significantly better to a point where you could say they're going to make a run at this thing. The Jaguars, on the other hand, they just brought in Calvin Ridley. They still have a very young—they got. They seem to draft a pass rusher every single year. Uh, Chris Greer—is it Chris Greer? I don't know. I, I don't remember who the GM is there. I think Chris Greer is the one down in Miami— whoever the GM for the Jaguars is. I, I digress there, but he drafts a running back every single year. He drafted another one this year in a guy, I think it's Tank Bigsby who they just drafted this this past offseason. So, I mean, the offense, I have no questions whatsoever about them. The only real question is how good is the, is the offensive line going to be? I think they lost a couple pieces along the offensive line, but you got a really good offensive coordinator slash head coach in Doug Peterson over there. You got a plethora of weapons. I mean, I'm talking about Evan Ingram. I am talking about all those wide receivers. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, who I just mentioned there. There's probably one other whose name is escaping me that's also really solid as well. And, of course, you got maybe the best quarterback prospect that we've had in quite some time outside of maybe uh, Patrick Mahomes out there. Definitely the most highly touted quarterback prospect since probably John Elway when he came into the league. Trevor Lawrence over there with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I got no questions about the offense. Defensively, we'll have to see how the secondary works out. But they're still one of the better defenses in the AFC South. They're certainly the best offense in the AFC South. Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't know about far and away. I mean, maybe they still get uh, 10. Maybe they push for 11 wins. But I feel like the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to win this division pretty handily when it's all said and done. Then again, it is the Jaguars. So I'm open to being incredibly wrong. And that's part of the fun of this segment right here. So moving on to the AFC East. I have got... You know what? This might be the best division in football when you when you come to think of it. They got the Buffalo Bills, who are, you know, you still got Josh Allen. You still got uh McDermott over there coaching up the defense. You still got a very solid secondary, good good defense. I mean, a little bit of question marks at linebacker, but they always seem to figure it out over there. And of course, you got the weapons with Stephon Diggs, every deep threat known to man over there. You just drafted Dalton Kincaid in the draft. And then, of course. You got the Miami Dolphins. I mean, they just brought in Vic Fangio to coach the defense. I feel like that's thing, that's something that people forget that they brought in this year. Maybe the best defensive coordinator on the market right now in Vic Fangio. They bring him in. I think that defense is probably going to end up being close to a top 10. It's all just kind of depends on what Tua does on the other side. We all know the wide receivers over there ain't going to let them down between Waddle and Tyreek Hill. And then, of course, you just got the lowly Patriots over there. Maybe the worst team in the division, but still has a very conceivable way of ending up over 500, pushing for a playoff spot. This AFC East is about as stacked as the NFC East was last year, I would say. And I think it might be even better than that. They are a very, very tough division this year. That being said, you may notice there's one team I haven't mentioned, and it's because I got them as the division champs this year. It's the hype team. I'm, I'm hopping on the train. New York Jets. I don't think this is like the Brett Favre situation because Aaron Rodgers is a totally different quarterback than Brett Favre. Brett Favre took a chance every time he could out there. There's a reason he threw like damn near 30 interceptions whenever he was with the Jets that one year he was with them back in the day. This is different. Aaron Rodgers, he had a career-high 12 interceptions last year. 12, that's his career-high, 12 interceptions. He's an efficient quarterback. And part of that was because he just didn't simply have any – uh, experienced weapons over there outside of Randall Cobb, who, by the way, uh, talk about that that list of demands. It wasn't a list of demands, but it was a list of strong suggestions that he had over there with the uh, with the, the 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 Jets to bring in. After they brought in Aaron Rodgers, they bring in Randall Cobb. They brought in Alan Lazard, and that receiving core. You just go down the list there. I mean, Nicole Hardman, they brought in off the street. He's an afterthought at this point. I mean, right now the top three are. Of course, you got Garrett Wilson, absolute freak. I think he might be a top five receiver as soon as this, this upcoming season. Then at number two, maybe maybe number three at this point, you got Corey Davis. Alan Lazard. I mean, maybe he's the guy that Aaron Rodgers wanted to bring in. That doesn't change the fact that Alan Lazard is a damn good wide receiver. And also brings in a little bit of, of a different change of pace. You got a giant receiving court. And then also uh, you bring in. I guess you don't bring in anybody. You still got C.J. Uzama starting at at tight end. I am still very interested to see what Zach Kuntz does. He's a seventh-round pick, so you don't expect much of him. But he's an absolute physical specimen. Like I said before, killed the combine, like I said last week. uh, 6'8". absolutely demolished to everyone in just about every category uh, from vertically broad jump uh, I think even bench press at 68 he's just a, a physical specimen of a man not a whole lot of production at old Dominion a raw type of athletic talent but who better than Aaron Rodgers to throw the ball to such a guy in in the uh, the passing game I think that offense is going to be way way better than it was last year and I didn't even mention uh, Brees Hall coming back from an ACL injury and you got a deep backfield even outside of Brees Hall. you got Michael Carter. you got Zonovan Knight. A really good backfield over there. you to got to worry about the tackles a little bit, but that interior of the offensive line is still good and Aaron Rodgers is a much better quarterback than I think Zach Wilson will probably ever be in his entire career. And that's before I even mention the defense. I think this defense for the New York Jets with Sauce Gardner coming in in his second year with that monster defensive front they had, there is not a single hole in this entire defense right now. The defense, as good as the offense is going to be this year, I think, there's probably going to be some growing pains with Aaron Rodgers uh, getting some, uh, some good chemistry with the wide receivers out there. That defense is not going to have any let up from what they showed last season. They are going to be so so good this year and just that combination i'm not sure any other team in the afc east right now has that combination of very good offense very good defense that the new york jets have therefore i am taking the new york jets and this could be a super bowl robust type of year because who knows how long he got left with aaron Rodgers right now this now is the time and i think the new york jets capitalize they take this division in the afc east but it's not going to be easy man like i said this is probably the best division in football coming in like, like next, or last or Jesus Christ coming into this season. Last season it was the AFC West. We're talking about them up next. Didn't quite work out that way though. So hey, maybe maybe one or two of these teams disappoints. Probably looking at some coaches heads rolling there, but what else is new in this this coaching carousel that is the NFL? Let's talk about that AFC West, shall we? Uh, this year you know what? I'm not making the same mistake I made last year. Last time I said the Chargers were going to win. I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm simply not be- doubting the Chiefs ever again. The Chiefs are going to win this division. They're probably going to get another 13, 14 wins, and they're going to be right there in the Super Bowl conversation because of one Patrick Levan Mahomes. As long as you got Patrick Mahomes on your team, you're going to win the division, as far as I'm concerned. They they have firmly gotten to the point that the uh, the Patriots did under Tom Brady, where I'm just like, okay. I'm never going to doubt that they win this division ever again. It's just, it's simply not going to happen. Uh, Mahomes is just on another level. Andy Reid is on another level, just calling the plays, coaching this team. And that's before he even mentioned the other side of the ball, where they got one of the best interior defensive linemen in the entire league in Chris Jones. He got a solid uh, front line outside of him. You got, I mean, low key, kind of a really good secondary. I think they, they played more rookies than just about anyone else over the course of last year, as far as like over overall in the defense the secondary had a lot of those rookies and those rookies played very well down the stretch they still got Legereus Sneed in the building if I'm not mistaken I think they brought in a safety I want to say whose name escapes me right now but the Chiefs are still I don't know about far and away but they are the best team in the AFC West right now uh, Chargers, Broncos, definitely Raiders. All of them are going to have to just stand aside right now because this is this is the Chiefs' era of dominance. I think we are entering the firmly entering the dynasty phase of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now that they've won two Super Bowls under Patrick Mahomes. And I'm interested to see how, where this goes. I think they're going to be right there at the end of it, at the end of next season as well. We'll have to put a pin in that for now, though. we got to talk about some other things in the meantime. First off, in the NFC North, going over the NFC side of the division winners, It's the Detroit Lions right now, man. And when is the last time, just taking a step back and looking at this from a 10,000 foot perspective, when is the last time the Detroit Lions came into a season in the NFC North and we could pretty much definitively say they have the best roster in the division? That's, it is wild how good that rebuild has been going uh, between all the, all the moving pieces there. The, the GM, whose name escapes me right now, who just said death to analytics on draft night, Dan Campbell out there coaching his ass off. You got a, a really solid offensive coordinator in Brad Johnson, uh, really solid defensive coordinator in Aaron Glenn. They managed to keep both of them this offseason, which is crazy to me. I'd never thought that would happen in my wildest dreams. I thought at least Brad Johnson would get a shot somewhere as a head coach, and I think if he does well again this season, Probably going to be right there at the top of a lot of lists again as far as getting a head coaching opportunity. Uh, Talking about Shane Waldron over there as well in the NFC. Probably going to be right at the top of a lot of people's lists if they have another good offensive season. But right now... I think they, the Detroit Lions specifically, they really addressed some concerns as far as the defense is concerned. They really hit that, they really hit that, um, that secondary hard. They drafted a safety in Brian Robinson, who was the the best safety coming into this draft in the second round. Obviously, they bring in Jameer Gibbs, who they, you know, they they could have waited till 18 to get him if you're if you're being honest about it. In all likelihood, I don't think anyone between 12 and 18 was going to draft Jameer Gibbs unless someone was really going to shock me out there. But they got a really good player, is the thing. I mean, value be damned for it. Uh, Shove the nerds back in the locker for this one, like I said last week. But this is just a really, really good pickup. And Jameer Gibbs is going to bring a factor into that offense that they simply did not have last year. They had a couple really good runners in DeAndre Swift when he was out there. And, of course, oh, man, I... he just set the franchise record, and I can't remember the guy's name. That's that's running back in the modern NFL era, right here, folks. That's that's what you can really uh, count on. You're gonna be forgotten after you get an 18 touchdown season. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just a bad NFL host right now. I got all sorts of job stuff on my mind, though. So, yeah, that's sorry about that. But hey, you had two really good runners that back there this past season. You bring in David Montgomery, who's you know in that same sort of mold. Then you bring in Jameer Gibbs, who's just a Swiss Army knife. I think. I don't know if you're going to say he's going to be a bell cow next season, but he's certainly going to come in and he's going to be productive right away. And you're not going to have to worry about him right now. Uh, if if you go in there uh, and put him in right away, I mean running backs translate just about better than anyone else when it comes to just coming right straight from college and plugging in at the NFL level, you're going to see it with Bijan Robinson with the Falcons. You're definitely going to see it with, with uh, Jameer Gibbs, with the lions as well, two teams that really want to run the ball too, which is, which is the main thing. I think he adds a, a totally different dimension to this offense. Still got some uh, some cur- concerns with the wide receiving core. They lost DJ Chark in the offseason. Uh Jamison Williams is suspended for the first six games of the year. But they also bring in Sam LaPorta this offseason too in the in the second round of the draft, uh, good pass catching tight end as well there. I really like what they're doing over. And of course, still got a solid defensive front. I think they're going to be better on defense. I don't I still don't think they're going to be very good at, or not. Very good. I think they're going to be great on defense this season. I think they're going to be serviceable. I think they're going to be better than what they were last year. If for no the reason, they brought in some good pieces. C.J. Gardner Johnson, like I just said, with Brian Robinson there. Best safety in the draft. Obviously, you draft Jack Campbell over on that side of the ball as well. I just think this is the, the Detroit Lions year. Aaron Rodgers just left the uh, the division. I think the Vikings are due for a drop-off from what they were last year just because they got so lucky in so many different situations. And That's setting the homerism aside right there. They... They had no business getting 13 wins. They were luckier than just about any team. Just go back and look at the Bills game if you don't believe me on how lucky the Vikings were last season. I think overall... I think the Vikings will be better than they were last year. I think they're going to have a better, more well-rounded team. I think that defense in particular is going to be better than it was last season. But you can't just... Lightning's not going to strike twice here. They were so lucky last season that I think it's probably going to be a bit of a regression year in the wins column for the Vikings. I just think the Lions are going to come out here. I think those are probably your top two teams in the division right now, the Lions and the Vikings. But I just feel like the Lions are going to come out here probably just take this division. Now is the time for the Lions to make a run and... You know what? I think it's a, it's a good situation for Hendon Hooker to be in too. We didn't talk about him. I don't think he's going to make an impact on this upcoming year, but that's good for him. I think he can sit behind, actually learn an NFL offense. Sit behind Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff's going to hold on to that that job. I think he's shown that time and time again with the Detroit Lions that he's a little bit better than we gave him credit for when he was with the Rams. And I, you know, I like the I like the future of the Detroit Lions, and it's going to be weird having to root against him because I've just been they've just been the lovable losers for as long as I've been watching football, and I don't really know what to do with my hands right now. I just the Lions. Who would have thought they've been this good? Uh, two years, two, three years in the Dan Campbell regime, especially after how it started in the press conference. I mean, good for them. But I digress. We got to move on here because I'm spending entirely too much time. Let's go to the AFC South right now. And you know, there's an argument for just about any of these teams outside of the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are poo-poo, stinky bad. They are one of the worst QB situations in the league. Not a very good roster. They got an aging defense, aging offense. Uh, they're spending money, a whole lot of money that's very prohibitive as far as them bringing guys in. But again, a lot like the Rams in the NFC as well. You go all in to win a Super Bowl. They won that Super Bowl and the Piper has to be paid now. So it is what it is is. They're Outside of the Bucks, though, you can make a real argument that any of these teams in the NFC South could go out and win this division. For my money though, and I think I'm a little higher on them than a lot of uh, people in the NFL community, I really like the offseason that the Atlanta Falcons had. I think the Panthers had a very good offseason in their own right. I think they've really put a solid system together for Bryce Young to step in and be successful right away. they got a monster defense on the other side of things. I think they're going to be neck and neck, the Atlanta Falcons and the, and the Carolina Panthers, as far as who's going to win this division. But when it's all said and done... I just really, really like what the Falcons did this offseason. They went hard on the defensive side of the ball. They had they've had a bad defense the last couple years that has kept them from winning more games. Uh, they got some good offensive pieces as well. They bring in Bijan Robinson, who I think is going to probably lead the league in rushing next year. He's going to be a monster in that Arthur Smith running scheme. The only thing that's going to keep Bijan Robinson from being the number one rusher in the league this year is a rotational back system because they can they can legitimately go four deep. That's another thing. And I'm going off on kind of a tangent here as well, but the, the Atlanta Falcons' backfield is so deep right now. They got Bijan Robinson, they got Caleb Huntley, they got Tyler Algier, and they got Cordero Patterson. That's legit four guys that could probably start on a lot of teams right now. They're not going through training camp. They're not ending training camp with all four of those guys being on the roster. One of the, At least one of those guys is going to end up on the open market and probably end up in a pretty solid spot. That's going to be a big-time, big-time thing to watch. Coming around the uh, the cut season as the jeez um, as the season gets underway uh, over in the gee, totally lost my train of thought there but you on, you understand what I'm saying right? Whenever the roster cutdowns come around, this is going to be a big pickup to watch when it's all said and done. One of those backs is not going to be around, but that's just how good this backfield is. And the receiving core, maybe not the best in the world. You're still it's still just kind of a work in progress. They got Drake London. Uh, you hope Kyle Pitts will be a little bit better than he was the last couple seasons, but he hasn't been great thus far to being drafted number four overall. But it feels like the the big wild card here, and I'm kind of just assuming that Desmond Ritter with a full offseason to work with is going to step into that starting role and play relatively well. But there's no guarantee that Desmond Ritter steps in and plays well. I think he had a very good trajectory at the end of last season, progressively played better in every single game he was in, had a bad game in his first start, had an okay game in his second start and had a legitimately good game in his last start of the season last year. If he comes out and plays well, there's no reason that they can't win this division because they went hard on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, They got the Saints co-defensive coordinator in in Ryan Nielsen over there now calling the plays. They got some really good pieces on the defensive line. They bolster the secondary with every corner known to man out, out there. It's kind of a distressed asset, which may be good, may be bad. We know at the very least, A.J. Terrell is a pretty solid player out there on the outside. I think their defense is going to be better. I think their offense is going to be a little step up because B. John Robinson is that much of a difference maker in the backfield. And I think as a result of B. John Robinson, the gravity that B. John Robinson has there in the backfield, I think the receiver is going to be more productive. I think it's going to be a big year from Drake London. And it all hinges on what Desmond Ritter is going to do. And I honestly think full offseason developing under Arthur Smith, I think he's one of the best offensive minds in football right now. Doesn't get enough credit just because he's over there sequestered in Atlanta. I think they got a really good coach there for the time being and for the foreseeable future over there in Atlanta with Arthur Smith. I feel like he's gonna be a good good thing for Desmond Ritter. It's gonna be good development for him over there. And I think the Falcons are gonna come out here and win the NFC South. Sorry to my former co-host Zach. That's just how I feel right now. I just feel like the Falcons really did a lot this offseason. I don't think a lot of people are talking about it. I think they're gonna surprise some people with how good they come out of the gates this next season. In the NFC East, I'm going with a repeat champion over here. i got the Philadelphia Eagles winning the NFC East uh, right now. I think this is one of those divisions that no one's won back-to-back in years. I think the Eagles just did it in back-to-back seasons, though. Unless the Dallas Cowboys won the season before, I digress. Either way, I think the Philadelphia Eagles, they had some holes to address in their roster this offseason, and I think they addressed them very admirably. Specifically in the first round, I mean, you lose Javon Hargrave in the middle, you're wondering what the hell are you going to do over there. Uh, Obviously, you've got uh, Jordan Davis coming in. You're expecting big things out of him this coming season. But why not get the best defensive lineman in the entire draft coming in? That was a bit of a distressed asset falling because of the character issues off the field. Get Jalen Carter in there. And I'll tell you right now, there is not a better situation as far as good veteran leadership, uh, good locker room, good coaching over there with the Philadelphia Eagles than he would have gotten that for Jalen Carter to step into. I think Jalen Carter is going to be a monster this upcoming season. There's there's a good there's a real argument for him to be defensive rookie of the year. If I don't know if he's gonna win it because that defensive line is just so perpetually stacked. He's still got Fletcher Cox in there. Jordan Davis you're expecting to step up in a big way, but I think N'Kobe Dean's gonna step in and play very, very well. He wasn't He's kind of buried on that depth chart last year, as he just kind of you know sat in the wings waiting. But this is his year to shine with all the all the the, the turnover in the linebacker room, especially at inside linebacker. I think the Kobe Dean. People forget how good he was in college and how much of a, a heat-seeking missile he was at the at the University of Georgia. When he was coming out of college, I'm not sure there was a better linebacker in the entire country as far as reading a play, diagnosing a play, and just going and getting the ball whenever he could. I think he's going to step in and be a monster for the Philadelphia Eagles. I think there's going to be a lot of good players stepping up on the defensive side. And offensively, I mean, you you kept that, that core of the wide receivers together. I didn't know that they could do it. I thought... Quez Watkins may end up being a salary cap consideration that they had to to let go over there. But when it was all said and done, they've still got A.J. Brown. They've still got Devontae Smith, and they've still got that solid number three. And Quez Watkins, not to mention, I'll say it time and time again, one of the most underrated tight ends in the league that no one seems to talk about, Dallas Goddard, an absolute monster there catching passes. And of course, you got Jalen Hurts, who is really coming into his own. I think he's going to be a good quarterback for quite some time there with the Philadelphia Eagles. And put all that together, I think the Philadelphia Eagles, I, I don't think they're going to be drastically different record-wise than what they were last season. 13, 14 wins, maybe they, they drop down to 12 if some things go awry there. I think the Falcons are going to, not the Falcons, the, the Cowboys are going to be nipping at their heels once again this season. But the Eagles, I expect them to come out and win the NFC East and be right there at the end as far as winning the Super Bowl and at least going to the Super Bowl. Kind of foreshadowing what my picks are uh, ahead, but let's not get at Ooh, almost choked on my spit there. But let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, moving on to the NFC West, though. Got to get through these divisions. I've been talking entirely too much about them. I have got the San Francisco 49ers repeating. I think the Seahawks made as big a push as just about anyone in the entire league as far as getting Jackson Smith and Jigba, getting Devin Witherspoon at the top of the draft there, two number one players at their respective positions in the areas that they really needed to address as well. They needed a third receiver to come in there. Uh, whether Jackson Smith and Jigba comes in, takes that second receiver role, more, more than likely you're still going to have Tyler Lockett on the outside and you're going to have Jackson Smith and Jigba work in that slot. That's just because... Jackson Smith and Jigbo works a slot better than just about anyone else in this draft. Those quickness numbers, that'll show you he could really step in and be a Cooper Cup type. Maybe not that type of level. Don't want to get ahead of myself here. But a Cooper Cup style of player where he can just come in, dice up man-to-man coverage from the slot position, be a stick mover, really help this offense out. And got Geno Smith coming into year two of prominence there. You expect him to still be around the level he was at last season. And... You, you put all that together. Obviously, you draft Zach Charbonnet in the second round. You draft um not Zamir White. He's with the Raiders right now. The Georgia running, Kenny McIntosh. You draft him in the seventh round. A good rotational guy there to have as well. Tough time to be a veteran running back in that room, but really good, solid young running back. Core. You had Kenny, oh my goodness, Kenneth Walker coming in last offseason. A really solid runner there. Thickest neck in the league by my money. I mean, just an absolute unit of a neck there uh, to go with the... Uh, the, the um, the tackles they got there, obviously Charles Cross, Abraham Lucas. Uh, I mean, just a really solid young core that the Seahawks have. But the San Francisco 49ers, they've still got the most versatile set of weapons in the entire league between Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, of course. George Kittle there as well. They'll give, him, they'll give the ball to him on a jet sweep every so often just to keep the defense on their toes. You got one of the best, if not the best, back in the entire league in Christian McCaffrey running that Shanahan run scheme, which, by the way... Can make anyone a thousand yard rusher, but when you got one of the best backs in the entire league like Christian McCaffrey, it's straight wind straw in that run game. It's an unstoppable offense that definitely. I mean, it's really maybe the only quarterback proof offense in the entire league right now is that Shanahan scheme. Regardless of what's going on at the quarterback, whether it's it's Trey Lance, whether it's it's Brock Purdy coming back from the injury, who knows how he plays. Regardless of the inconsistencies that may arise, that offense is going it's basically quarterback it's the most quarterback proof offense in the entire league. I think they're a shoe in for top 10 every single year because of the play caller and because of the personnel they got around that quarterback. A few question marks as far as the offensive line is concerned, but again, with that running scheme, with the confusion that the pre stat motion in that Shanahan scheme causes on the defensive side of the ball. I think it can offset a lot of deficiencies in your offensive line, offset a lot of deficiencies in your quarterback play. I think they will still have a good offensive line. There's really only so far you can fall when you got maybe the best left tackle in the league and Trent Williams anchoring that offensive line still. But, obviously some questions there on the offensive line that will need to be addressed. I think they, they end up fixing that. And even if they don't, this defense is still monstrous. I mean, as long as you got Nick Bosa there, as long as you got Fred Warner, as long as you got a solid secondary back there, they, they did lose some pieces, so I can't discount that. But I think they still got Charverius Ward over there, solid number one corner. They've got a really good group of safeties over there. They, they did lose one of the guys back there whose name escapes me, went over with D'Amico Ryans to the Texans as well. But with that front seven, maybe the best front seven in the entire league right now, a stacked defensive line, a stacked linebacker court. Yes, they lost Aziz Al Alshair, but you still have the best inside linebacker in the entire league for my money in Fred Warner, maybe the smartest inside linebacker in the entire league, Fred Warner there as well. They've got maybe the best defense in the entire league, and they, they're going to be top five basically no matter what, especially since you've got an elite pass rusher, elite defender overall in Nick Boza over there, Magatron over there f- a- anchoring the defense for the San Francisco 49ers. I still think they've got the best team in the entire NFC West, so that's why I'm picking them to win the division this year. They're, those are your division winners. Let's get on to the uh, accolades, for lack of a better term. Starting off with not necessarily an accolade, but my prediction – for the number one overall pick, this was an absolute dogfight between the Buccaneers and the Rams. And I'm still not entirely sure on this. I think the Rams still might end up getting the number one overall pick. But when in doubt, go with the worst QB situation. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have the worst QB situation in the entire league right now. Baker Mayfield's the presumptive starter. Uh You still got Kyle Trask as the slated backup. And you know what, they, they got a good group of weapons, but it doesn't really matter if your quarterback is getting constantly harassed, and bel- especially since uh, they got Tristan Wirfs coming back. That's good. That's good. They still got him. Uh, they lost their right tackle, though, in, in Donovan. Is it Donovan? Br- not Donovan Brown. I don't know. You, the right tackle over there with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers they just lost over the course of this offseason. Uh, Ryan Jensen was retired up until uh, the beginning of last year. He's coming back, but he's, you know, how much are you going to get out of Ryan Jensen at this point in his career? Uh, Not a great offensive line over there with the Buccaneers. I don't think they're going to get a whole lot of push in the run game uh, there as well. The defense is aging at all levels pretty much. Uh, They got an, an okay corner over there in, in uh, Byron, not Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy's with the with the Vikings right now. But Sean Murphy bunting over there. Uh, uh, Antoine Winfield as well. They got some solid paces, but overall, it's not a very good front seven. It's not a very good offense. I feel like the Buccaneers are going to be right there at the end. And I'd also, by the way... I think Sean McVay is a better uh, better head coach than what Todd Bowles is. I think this is probably Todd Bowles last year as the uh, head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I'm here to tell you right now, if and when Todd Bowles either leaves this job or gets fired from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he's the new hottest commodity on the defensive coordinator market because I don't know if he's ever going to be. I mean, for better or for worse, I think he's shown his colors at this point as a, as a head coach. He's he's just an average at best head coach, and I'm not sure that's a guy, especially as a defensive coordinator in this modern era of the NFL, that you take as your as your heir apparent for the for the head coaching job. Hell, I'm not sure he would have gotten this job if Bruce Arians hadn't strong armed the organization on the way out the door and to basically forcing them to hire Todd Bowles as the next head coach. And that is a that is a recipe right there to where you hire Todd Bowles as your defensive coordinator, and you might not have to worry about him for the duration of your head coach's contract at that point. And maybe even beyond that, Todd Bowles is a, for as average as he is as a head coach, he is a damn good defensive coordinator. One of the best defensive coordinators in the entire league. He's going to be a hot commodity if and when he leaves this job. But that is all to say, I don't think the Buccaneers are going to be very good next year. And I think they are my, maybe not a shoo-in, but they're my prediction for the number one overall pick in this upcoming season. Let's get into some actual accolades, shall we? Talk about Rookie of the Year and... My two big candidates are in the same division right now. It's either Bryce Young or Bijan Robinson. But you go back and look at the 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 history of this award. It's a quarterback driven award. Basically, unless you got a quarterback that has a, a, a an average or worse year, just a not good year at the quarterback position, the quarterback is going to win this award most times. I think it's going to be neck and neck between Bryce Young and and B. John Robinson. But just the infrastructure that's been put around Bryce Young right now when in, in Carolina the the cerebral nature of what Bryce Young is, I think he's going to end up winning this this offensive rookie of the year. I think he's going to have a solid enough season to at least stave off Bijan Robinson. I th- don't get me wrong, Bijan Robinson is going to have a monster season in that Falcons running game. It's just it's a quarterback driven league. This is a quarterback award, and I think Bryce Young is going to have a solid efficient year. Uh, with that offensive staff put around him with the weapons that they brought in uh, with, with that offensive line that's in front of him his cerebral ability this just feels like Bryce Young's award to lose this year so I'm having Bryce Young as my Offensive Rookie of the Year Defensive Rookie of the Year I mean this might be the biggest toss up of all the ones out here. I have no idea, right? This is this is a big, well, I don't know. I mean it could be Devin Witherspoon there with the with the Seahawks. I think he's obviously going to get uh, a lot of a, a lot of attention over there just because he's got uh, a really good really solid corner over there uh, who's an absolute physical freak. My favorite physical freak from the last draft, Tariq Woolen, opposite of him. So, you know, maybe it's Devin Witherspoon getting some some good action over there, getting a bunch of uh, interceptions. Um, Maybe it's Will Anderson being thrust into that role as the anchor of the Texans' defense over there. By the way, I think the Texans are going to be a lot better than... Maybe not a lot better. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but I think they're going to be better than people expect them to be this upcoming season. That's going to be one to watch. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, like I said. But I think they made some really good moves this offseason. They're going to get them to seven, maybe eight wins if they're lucky at at the end of the year. But I digress on that front. That's that's all to say, it could be just about anyone drafting the first couple rounds. For my money, though... And it kind of seems a little counterintuitive with what I just said about the Buccaneers, but Kalijah Cansey is my pick for Defensive Rookie of the Year. The team, hear me out here, the team around him is going to be absolutely stinky poo-poo dog shit. No two ways about it. But I think that thrusts him in the lineup and gets him some good reps early on. And I think he's going to get some real big pass rush numbers because he is... I mean, he blew everyone away as far as the the, the measurables are concerned at the combine. He was by far the fastest defensive tackle, uh, the quickest defensive tackle. Uh, he's strong. He's got a good low center of gravity. He's in that same mold, not just because he went to Pitt, but because he has a similar sort of play style. Maybe not quite as powerful as Aaron Donald, but he's right there as far as the stature is concerned. He's quick. He's he's mobile. Obviously. He can really get in there and cause some havoc in the middle of a defense as far as pass rush is concerned, and I think he's going to get a lot of, I think he might get double digit sacks this year, and as a defensive rookie of the year goes, unless there's a really solid corner that comes out here and blows everyone away like Sauce Gardner did last year, I think Kalaja Kansi is my front runner for defensive rookie of the year. I think he's going to be very good in this Bucks defense, maybe one of the, the lone bright spots in this Bucks defense. I think he's going to play, he's going to play very well for that Bucks defense though, I would say. So that's my defense. My pick for defensive rookie of the year: Kalijah Cansey, defensive tackle for the Buccaneers. MVP: I have got Jalen Hurts, and this is probably my toughest one to predict. I think you could have an argument for all sorts of different players here. Uh, I was thinking specifically Patrick Mahomes, but he won last year, and like it or not, Patrick Mahomes, a, a lot like you know LeBron James in his prime, like Michael Jordan in his prime, like Tom Brady in his prime, is what well. you can make an argument every single year. For Patrick Mahomes to win the MVP, but that's just, you know, it's a story-driven league. It's a story-driven award. Jalen Hurts finished just short last year. If he hadn't gotten injured, who's to say uh, he doesn't come out here and win this award last, last season? But this coming season... Basically got the same sort of weapons around him. Still got a very deep backfield, very good offensive line. Some questions in the interior there, losing Isaac Sayamalu. Uh, also on the outside, you still got maybe the best uh, tackle duo in the entire league between Jordan Mailata and Lane Johnson on the other side of the right tackle. And again, I don't think Lane Johnson has allowed a pre- I mean, he Maybe he's allowed a pressure, but he's not allowed a sack like in over a year at this point. Some crazy sort of statistic like that. And a physical freak in Jordan Mailata. But... Uh, doesn't get a whole lot of pub just because he's got Lane Johnson on the other side, but there's a reason he plays left tackle and Lane Johnson plays right tackle. Jordan Mailata is a physical freak, former rugby player, really great player out there. And I think there's only so far you can fall when you got that sort of offensive line. Oh, by the way, they still got maybe the best center in the entire league and Jason Kelsey anchoring the middle there, the most unstoppable uh, QB sneak game in the entire league last season. Uh, And the wide receiver core and the tight end core still sticking together. There's a reason why I picked them to win this division. And I feel like with that, Jalen Hurts, if he stays healthy throughout the entire year and he keeps that development trajectory he's had, really had a big jump last season, I think he can get get even better from a passing perspective this upcoming year. Losing Shane Steichen is probably going to hurt a little bit, but I don't think enough to keep him from winning the uh, the MVP award. This is a big old toss-up for me, though. I have no idea who's going to win this. My best guess is Jalen Hurts, so I'm going with that one. That's what this segment is. That one might be totally and horribly wrong when it's all said and done because, again, it's such a story-driven award, and Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, maybe the story doesn't line up this upcoming year. Maybe that. Maybe the Eagles are good, but Jalen Hurts, I don't know. We're just bored with Jalen Hurts being as good as he is. I don't think that's the case, though. I think he got another step up this year, and I think Jalen Hurts is going to be right there uh, for the MVP trophy once again. Defensive player of the year. This might be uh, the same guy I picked last year. I'm picking Micah Parsons. He had a torrid stretch to start the year last year where I thought he was going to end up winning it. I believe it was Miles Garrett that ended up pulling it out out at the end just because, you know, overall consistency at that pass rushing position. Micah Parsons, though, I think teams are going to be passing against them because the offense is still going to be, I mean, maybe not quite as good as it once was, but I think they're still, I mean, ugh. Who's to say what happens with Mike McCarthy on the other side of the field? That's a whole whole different can of worms to open there uh, going forward. But right now, I think Micah Parsons, he's got good pass rushers opposite of him. He's got good pass rushers on the interior. I think Mozzie Smith's going to help out with that as well uh, as far as anchoring the interior of that defensive line. I just think this, this, this is probably Micah Parsons' year to have another really, really solid breakout performance. I think he's going to have big-time sack numbers, big-time pressure numbers, and... What's better than Micah Parsons being all over the field playing with his hair on fire? Maybe the most versatile outside linebacker in the entire league. I think this is probably Micah Parsons' year to come out there and win this Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, comeback Player of the Year, I'm kind of going in a similar mold to what we saw last year. This is all like, uh, what, is, what does comeback even mean? Is it comeback from an injury? Comeback from being terrible? I don't know. I, came, I stuck with... Because, you know, Geno Smith won comeback player of the year last year after just basically being a backup his entire career. So, along those same lines, Russell Wilson had a terrible year last year. Uh, Maybe had some injury stuff going on that we didn't see behind the scenes. Was not very good uh, when it was all said and done. Maybe part of that was part of Nathaniel Hackett's system. Maybe part of that is just like, you know, garden variety degradation of his physical tools. I'm telling you right now, though, I think Russell Wilson's going to be much better this year because he has one Sean Payton call on the offense. Got a better backfield to work with, a much better offensive line to work with. I think they really attacked that offensive line uh, as far as this offseason was concerned. And I think he's really going to come out there and have a much better season. Also, I think Sean Payton knows what he's he's probably watched a lot of Russell Wilson's film, knows the strengths, knows the weaknesses, and he's going to lean into those strengths, avoid those weaknesses, and as a result... I think Russell Wilson's going to have a really good year this year. Uh, back to Pro Bowl level caliber, I think. Uh, unless he's absolutely cooked, I feel like this is a year where Russell Wilson's going to come in. He's going to be much better. And you know what? Let's ride, folks. We're going all the way to Comeback Player of the Year. If you were watching on YouTube, you just saw me just, woo, real quick hands. Don't don't you forget. I, I got quick hands, folks. Don't you forget at all. Just catching my, my phone before it falls off my leg there when it's all said and done. But I digress. I think Russell Wilson, though, He's poised to have a very good year this year. He's still got one of the better wide receiver cores in the entire league. you got Tim Patrick coming back off of that ACL injury. Uh, and I think he's you know he's going to be put in very good position to succeed over there. So I think that's probably my pick for comeback player of the year, Russell Wilson. Uh, best defense, I think it's going to be the New York Jets. and I think it's probably the San Francisco 49ers going to make a big push for this as well. Um, I think in that, that AFC East, you might have some some guys that have something to say about that. The Patriots are going to be a very good defense. I think the Ravens are going to be a very good defense again. I mean, uh, maybe the Browns have very good personnel over there. They can just kind of, you know, meld it all together and have a, a consistent showing that puts them in the top five. But for right now, you just look at the Jets top to bottom. And I said it before when I was talking about the AFC East, that is a division. There's not a single hole in this Jets defense right now, not the secondary, uh not the not the linebacking core, not the defensive line, none of it. They have they have stars at every single level. And that's really what you need to be the best defense in the entire league. I think the New York Jets are I mean, they're just maybe not a cut above anyone else. Like I said, the San Francisco 49ers are going to be right there with them. But this just feels like Sauce Gardner's second year. I think he's going to you know, make a leap from where he was last season. You got all those tools. They got and Williams, one of the best defensive tackles in the entire league. This just feels right now like it's going to be a very good defense. And I think the New York Jets are going to be the best defense in the entire league. Best offense. Kind of along the same lines that I go with, I went with the AFC West before. I'm not. I'm just not picking against the Kansas City Chiefs again. You got Andy Reid. You got Patrick Mahomes. I don't give a damn who the receivers are. You still got Travis Kelsey, and you got that man, the best quarterback of all time. And I'll say it till the cows come home. I, I well, I don't love you, Tom Brady, but I respect the hell out of you, Tom Brady. Seven Super Bowls might never be eclipsed, but you might not believe me now. You're gonna come over to my side eventually, though. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback of all time, with one of the better offensive minds of all time. And with that said, Kansas City Chiefs, for my money, probably gonna be the best offense once again, especially in the def- in a uh, not the most defensive prowess sort of division over there. You still got the Raiders, you still got the Chargers, you got all sorts of teams that I don't know if they're necessarily defenses the is the strong suit for them over in that division. So. My money's on the Kansas City Chiefs to once again be the best offense in the entire league. And we're getting right down to it here. Let's talk about the conference championship matchups in the AFC. Once again, I'm not picking against Patrick Mahomes ever again. I think the Chiefs are going to be right there in the AFC championship. But I think they're going to be playing the New York Jets right now. I just, for my money, maybe maybe you can put the 49ers in this conversation. The Jets have a better quarterback than the 49ers, though. I'm not sure there's a better offense, defense Combination than what the Jets have in the entire league right now. At least on paper, I feel like the weapons they acquired this offseason really already had in the building over there for the Jets. Obviously, the quarterback they acquired. Um, obviously, offensive line questions, but I still think they're going to be a top-10 offense over there. And I just said, I think the Jets have the best defense on paper in the entire league coming into the season. I think that this is the year where you're going to make a real championship run if you're the Jets. I don't know if it's going to be enough to win, but you're going to be right there at the end. I think they're they're going to get to the AFC Championship, and we'll just see where the cards fall from there. It's going to be tough to get past the Chiefs, though, because of all of what I just said. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Travis Kelsey, Chris Jones. Do I have to keep naming people? Probably don't. You guys get it. This is the modern dynasty, the Kansas City Chiefs. On the NFC side of things, though, I think it's a rematch from last year. I think it's the 49ers and I think it's the Eagles. I still think they're the best teams in the NFC overall. I think the Lions could really surprise some people who make a run at this thing, but I just don't know how far. They're not a quarterback proof offense, I don't think. I think Jared Goff is a solid quarterback, but I just don't know how far you're going to get in the playoffs with Jared Goff quarterbacking your team. I think they have a very good team over there with the Detroit Lions, but still i don't know if anyone can really hold a candle to the 49ers or the eagles the cowboys might make a run at it but they've been they've shown themselves to be not very trustworthy in the playoffs over the, the course of the last several years or so so i can't i can't trust them to go deep in the playoffs this year though that team is still going to be pretty solid so again 49ers and eagles i think 49ers maybe in the nfc well Eagles are right there as well as far as the best offense-defense combo. The 49ers defense is still going to be very dominant this year as far as I'm concerned. And the offense, like I said before, the most QB-proof offense in the entire league just based on the scheme and the weapons that you've got around the quarterback out there. It's just going gonna, gonna to be hard to, to not see the 49ers getting far again. Again, they were a Brock Purdy UCL injury away from being in the Super Bowl, maybe being in the Super Bowl last year, depending on how that, that whole thing plays out with the Eagles. I feel like the Eagles are going to be right there as well. though. I, you know, I just talked about they bring back basically the core of their offense. Still got a very good offensive line. They're going to have to fi- figure out how to replace Isaac Sayamalu. That, that's one thing you got to look out for. But still a very good defense. I think they, they replaced a lot of holes in that defense from the departures that they had. They had maybe the best first round of anyone this year bringing in Nolan Smith. And uh, not, not DeAndre Carter. I'm talking about, whew. oh man, how did I forget? How do I forget uh, Carter right now? Either way, guy with the last name Carter, Jalen Carter, my goodness, my brain is just totally in a pretzel right now. But that's that's how I'm feeling right now. I think the Eagles and the 49ers are just maybe not far and away. They're just a cut above everyone else in the NFC. So I think they're going to be right there in the NFC Championship. My Super Bowl matchup right now, as I see it here in the early stages of May, I got the Chiefs and I got the 49ers coming together together for the, for the Super Bowl matchup, I just feel like the Chiefs of the modern dynasty here, uh, like, it or, like it or hate it, Aaron Rodgers has a history of not being his best in playoff situations, and you know what, for better or for worse, I'm going to hold that against him here. Uh, the, the Jets have a very good team on paper, I think they're going to make a real good run at the championship, but as long as it's Patrick Mahomes out there i find it hard to see anyone in the afc beating them when it when push comes to shove even with all the quarterbacks you got over there in the afc i mean the chiefs are just that overpowering when you got that guy at quarterback you got that guy at head coach you got a guy like like chris jones anchoring the defense i don't have to go through all the names again the 49ers though this just feels like it's 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 not a make or break year But they've been knocking at the door for like three, four years now, where that defense has just been dominant as all hell. Ooh, excuse me. The offense, again, most QB-proof offense in the entire league. I think if they get any semblance of of consistent quarterback play, they're going to make a run at the Super Bowl this year. And they're going to be right there at the very end. And you know what? As far as the Super Bowl champion is concerned, I'm taking the 49ers to win it all. Kyle Shanahan has gone through enough heartbreak, and this defense is elite enough to cover up any consistency at quarterback as far as I'm concerned. I think they're good enough. Maybe it didn't show in the regular season last year, and they're probably going to have to get some good offensive performance in the Super Bowl if they want to pull this thing off. But I think they're good enough to at least slow down Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to whatever slowdown means. Maybe they score 25 instead of 35 in in a given game. But... We'll have, to see. we'll have to wait and see on that one. I think they're good enough to at least put up a good fight up against the, the Chiefs. And I think that offense, with Kyle Shanahan calling plays, is good enough to get this job done. Not to mention, there's a good chance the 49ers would have made the Super Bowl last year if Hassan Reddick hadn't taken a knife and just severed Brock, Brock Purdy's UCL in the championship game there. So... Barring the health of Brock Purdy, barring consistent play from Brock Purdy or, or Trey Lance or whoever is in there, I think the 49ers are standing there at the end and hoisting the Super Bowl trophy, hoisting the Lombardi. I, really, just for Kyle Shanahan's sanity, I hope he wins one this year because it is just, it's been Heartbreak City over and over and over. I got the 49ers winning the Super Bowl. Maybe a little bit of an emotional bias there, but you know we'll we'll see how it all works out. The Chiefs will be right there at the end of the uh, the dances. It's all said and done. Anyways, what was that sentence? I don't know. It's probably about time to end this thing off though. That is all for this episode, folks. If you enjoyed, subscribe Leave a five star rating so we can grow this bad boy. If you didn't enjoy it, take that opinion to the grave. Tell people you loved it anyways. Also, why not share this thing, huh? Why why not why not share it with a friend? You know, if you really like it. Share it with a friend. It would really help your boy out. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel. YouTube channel, trying to grow that a little bit as well. Maybe a bit of a delay on the YouTube video this week as I'm kind of you know figuring things out as far as uh, you know maybe getting a little bit better editing quality. I think I'm going to spend uh, a whole day tomorrow, Tuesday, as you're listening to this. If you're listening on the podcast side of things, I'm working on the YouTube video right now. I'm trying to get a little bit higher production quality on that one rather than just having a video that goes out there. So uh, maybe a little bit of a delay going forward. Maybe a staggered day sort of schedule here, but. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, only good things to come from here, especially as I get this job situation figured out and settled so I can get back to progressing that YouTube channel and progressing the editing side of things as well. I release episodes once per week until the football season is back in a full swing. During the offseason, there's no real telling what I'll get into. Could be good, could be bad. I think this is a really good episode, quite frankly. So, hey, this is just the luck of the draw. You gotta tune in to find out, I suppose. That's my marketing pitch for you. So, show up, show out, and share it with your friends. I cannot stress that part enough. Follow me on all my socials, at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description, so you don't have to spell that fucked up Eastern Block name. I did it for you. I did the hard work, and I put it down in the description, so you don't have to worry about it. Just go so click that link, hit the follow button, and then you'll know when I post this thing. What dumb thoughts are flitting through my head on a given day? Uh, maybe what what dumb bets I'm putting out there, which you may or may not want to get into. I've been I've not put out any bets recently because you're poised on a schneid, but that's neither here nor there. Just follow me on my Twitter over there, uh, if you would please. Also, if you want to contact the show, shoot me a DM on Twitter. That's probably where I'm going to be the most responsive. But if you don't want to do that, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That is unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put business or show in the subject line so I can you can be categorized accordingly. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. As always, I've got zero zilch, not a clue what I'm talking about on a general given basis. But with that one thing I learned this past week... And this one might be a mind-blower to some of you. There were no horses in the Western Hemisphere in recorded history until the Europeans brought them over in 1493. And again, that may shock some of you, but uh, there, there were some species of horses in the Americas in, in prehistoric times, but they, day, they died out thousands of years before Europeans discovered the New World. So until the Europeans came over and brought those horses... There's no horses in the, in the whole Western Hemisphere. Kind of a mind blower for me to, to learn about, but there you go. The more you learn, uh, the more you become a cultured person. And with that, I'm done talking in circles. Have a good one, ladies and gentlemen.